Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Wednesday. I hope you had a fantastic 4th of July. We have lots, as always, to discuss, so let's dive in. The epidemic of gun violence in the United States continues day after day and was particularly bad over the 4th of July holiday, especially in regard to mass shootings, and that's what I want to talk about here. This is from the Guardian, 4th of July, overshadowed by 16 mass shootings across the United States. And then the article continues. From the nation's capital to Fort Worth, Texas, from Florence, California, in the west to the Bronx, New York, in the east, the 4th of July long weekend in the United States was overshadowed by 16 mass shootings, in uh, which 15 people were killed and nearly 100 injured. The Gun Violence Archive, an authoritative database on gun violence in America, calculated the grim tally using its definition of a mass shooting as an incident in which four or more people, excluding the shooter, are killed or injured by firearms. Just tragedy after tragedy. And when looking at just how many mass shootings we've had so far this year, Forbes reported shortly before uh, the 4th of July, USC's record number of mass shootings halfway through 2023 as the july 4th weekend approaches mass shootings in the united states have reached a record high for the mid-year point there have been uh, more than 330 mass shootings so far this year according to data collected by the gun violence archive horrifying and before i discuss further the district attorney of philadelphia larry uh, krasner delivered remarks after a mass shooting that took place in philadelphia where five people were killed um and had some remarks that were right on point. Take a look at this. It is disgusting, the lack of proper gun legislation that we have in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I cannot agree more heartily with the mayor. It is disgusting that you can go to New Jersey and find a whole list of reasonable gun regulation that we don't have, that you can go to Delaware and there's almost as long a list of reasonable gun legislation that we don't have. Some of that legislation might have made a difference here. And it is time for everybody in our legislature, including the ones who would like to walk around with an AR-15 lapel pin, it is time for every one of them to face the voters. And if they're not going to do something, then the voters are going to have to vote them out. Because that's what that lapel pin means. It means vote me out. I am against you, and I am against your safety. And a lot of us have had enough of it. I can tell you I certainly have had enough of it. Absolutely. I have as well. All of you, I'm sure, have. Nothing is going to change until it is changed, until change is made. And right now, not only is the GOP not fighting for the proper legislation and policies, but they're actively uh, actively fighting against standing in the way of those very policy uh, positions, those very policies that should be implemented to make our communities safer, both state by state and state legislatures and federally. And every time the refrain from Republicans is, well, it's about the mental health. It's not about the guns. It's about in the case of school shootings, specifically, they'll say school security or whatever it might be. And those things also yes should be addressed and invested in but you can't ignore the gun and it's not a coincidence that the united states has more guns and they're way less regulated than every other developed country and we have more gun violence than every other developed country we've gone through the uh facts state by state their policies that effect on gun violence country by country 
in the past. It's undeniable. And uh, still, we have so many people denying the facts so that they can stand for the incorrect policies and stand against the correct policies. And even though it can feel hopeless, being an advocate for the proper policies, we do have to continue. It's the only thing we can do when we see tragedy after tragedy. What we can do is continue as hopeless as it can feel sometimes because of how long change has been called for without much of it. Um, but we do have to call for, for change. We have to fight for change. And as Larry Krasner there pointed out, we have to vote out the politicians that don't support the proper policies and get those who do. And that's Republicans. We have to get more common sense legislation supporting politicians into power. And that is disproportionately, largely, almost entirely coming from the Democratic Party. But just so many tragedies. Um, it's stunning. One of the things we hear a lot right now from the uh, Republican Party, and this connects to the last segment, is uh, protect the kids. And obviously that's disingenuous because, as we just talked about in the last segment, they're unwilling to um, implement, support, and then implement the proper policies that would protect kids when it comes to gun violence. And also, right now we're seeing, again, keep in mind throughout this entire segment, protect the kids as a slogan from the GOP. We're seeing in state legislatures with the support of governors across the country, child labor laws being attempted to be rolled back by Republican-led um, governments. And I want to update you on that. This is from courts. An Iowa law rolling back child labor protections has come into affect a protest against the National Restaurant Association's lobbying efforts to weaken child labor regulations. Uh, and actually, let's skip forward to this. Iowa is the latest state to take aim at child labor protections, enacting one of the most significant rollbacks to date. In late May, Governor Kim Reynolds signed a law that expanded the permit working hours and places of employment for teens as young as 14 years old. Iowa's bill, which violates federal law, according to the Department of Labor, went into effect on July First, the bill allows adolescents to participate in activities usually deemed inappropriate or dangerous for minors, such as serving alcohol, working uh, in one of the state's 200-plus meatpacking plants, operating heavy machinery, or joining demolition projects, among other provisions. Many are jobs that federal law has historically prohibited to those under the age of 18. And it's not just going on in Iowa, as NPR reports states like you have iowa there of course in the missouri ohio and arkansas have implemented um, or are pushing for companies to have the ability to hire children without work permits and allow children to work longer hours under more dangerous conditions in places like construction sites meat packing plants and automobile factories the department of labor reported a 69 percent increase in the number of children many of them undocumented migrants employed illegally by companies since 2018 um and I would put that in the not protecting kids category for sure. And again, this is Republican-led state governments. And what this kind of reminded me of was a clip we went over in the past of Arkansas's governor, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And we talked about, she did this interview, I'll remind you of it in a moment, on Fox News talking about her uh, push to ban critical race theory in Arkansas elementary schools and on its face it's absurd because critical race theory isn't taught in Arkansas elementary schools it's not taught in elementary schools period um, but this was the 
the priority of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And this interview moment that I'll show you came from uh, January of 2023, right after Sarah Huckabee Sanders was inaugurated. And so one of her first actions was to, in the name of protecting the kids, ban CRT, which wasn't being taught, to do something that was a complete and total virtue signal and didn't actually have any point to it. Again, because it's addressing a non-existent problem. And uh, at the time we talked about this, we'll talk about it again after watching this clip, this is an attempt to distract from the fact that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not fighting for the interests of her constituents, but will throw red meat to the base with stuff like this um, while she's working in Arkansas, as was reported alongside Iowa, uh, to loosen child labor laws. Um, you hit the ground running this week after your inauguration. A number of executive orders. Um, some folks love them, some folks do not. Let's talk about your critics' uh, reaction to some of these orders. One of them is called Executive Order to Prohibit Indoctrination and Critical Race Theory in Schools. Uh, the House Minority Leader there in Arkansas, a Democrat, says this, we can't support our teachers if we alienate and insult them with headline-grabbing executive orders. She says CRT is not being taught in Arkansas schools. Axios seems to back her up. They said, reality check, there's no indication that the college level course is taught in any Arkansas public school. So if that's true, why the executive order? It's incredibly important that we do things to protect the students in our state. We have to make sure that we are not indoctrinating our kids and that these policies and these ideas never see the light of day. So what'd she say there? Protecting our students. Oh, so are you making sure that schools are secure and gun laws are passed in your state to make sure kids are safe at school? No. Are you making sure that Republicans in your state don't attempt to roll back regulations that protect kids in the work environment? No. You're actually supporting those rollbacks. It's all disingenuous. It's all nonsense. And in reality, their policy positions and the policies they support and implement are the exact opposite of protecting the kids. It's so brutally and enragingly dishonest, but still people think, oh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and all these other Kim Reynolds, they're fighting for me because they'll do these culture war things. We're banning CRT. We're preventing your kids from being indoctrinated because we want to protect the kids. When in reality, they're not. They're actively standing in the way of good policy um, being implemented. And if people could become more aware of that, they could, as Larry Krasner talked about in our last segment, vote out the politicians who aren't supporting the proper policies. And we could get change finally on the issue of gun violence and make sure kids are protected when it comes to uh, work and all these different areas. We could actually make proper change if people, the voters, could wake up to the fact that this is the reality and then change it. One of the things you've heard me talk about is my belief that you should structure your perception of the relevance uh, and prominence of political movements and worldviews, um, ideologies, based on how those things are being represented in positions of power. How are they manifesting themselves into positions of power, not just how often are they being talked about online, for example. And it's so important. One of the things that um, and we're going to get to, by the way, in this segment, an example of why this is such an important way to approach these conversations. But one of the things that people admit is that it's at least a possibility of a problem and probably is a problem right now um, of political sides in an attempt to more effectively fight back against the other side 
dishonestly or inaccurately portraying the other side's views or at least the prominence of certain parts of their movement's views. Um, and so this comes up a lot when we talk about the right wing constantly fear mongering about the horrible threat to, uh, to society that the left is. Wokeness, they'll say, this huge fear mongering operation about wokeness. And uh, you'll have some people that are kind of moderate or even some center left who really believe, based on the fear-mongering, that there is this big problem in the United States, this threat of whatever the right wing has depicted as wokeness now. Um, and what I'll say in those conversations is, if I'm given an example of a left-winger who is saying something just ridiculous, okay, but how does that view reflect itself or manifest itself as i'll say into positions of power that's how i will judge how relevant it is to our political conversation and often for example one of the things i've heard is the left thinks that if you're white you should hate yourself who on the left <laughs> bring me this person and i'm sure there is a person because in a country of this size, every single view will have been espoused. And now that this country has within it and the world, social media, that view will become really, really, really talked about online and seem maybe like a problem when it isn't necessarily, um, isn't necessarily a part of a larger political movement because outrage engagement is what sells online. And so they'll grow a big discussion around them if they're saying, yeah, white people should hate themselves. Oh. Um, and it's not something that you'll hear any democratic politician, left-wing politician believe in. Of course not. And that's why I don't spend much time talking about what you would maybe call left-wing extremism because i just don't see it represented into positions of power right now even though there is left-wing extremism of course but i talk a whole lot about right-wing extremism why because of maga that has positions of power it's not just a nebulous thing out there that maybe there are some social media accounts espousing no in positions of power a president trump and now former president running for president uh marjorie green Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, all these people with actual positions of power or media figures that espouse views that influence those in positions of power and the people in positions of power reflect those very views, right? So that's been my thing for a while. Don't just look at how much kind of your media says, look, here's an example of someone annoying on Twitter. That's not going to give you a sense of actual uh, relevant political views, but instead the politicians those who reflect the views of the politicians, etc. Okay, with all that being said, I have an example of why that is so dang important. This is from the Washington Post. A viral left-wing Twitter account may have been fake all along. In eight months, Erica Marsh has become one of the most consistently viral left-wing voices on Twitter, gaining more than 130 thousand followers for her hyper-liberal, often melodramatic, uh, melodramatic opinions on the biggest flashpoints in American news. She's been especially popular with conservatives who promoted her as a perfect symbol of how uh, overly theatrical and insane liberals can be, like when she attacked the Supreme Court's affirmative action decision last week by saying, no black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system. Great example. Who would say that? Well, a fake account. And let me say again, I have interacted with actual really annoying people who identify as liberals. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not saying dumb views aren't espoused. Dumb people don't. All of it. Yes. But we're talking about a larger um, 
political discussion that we have to tap into what actually is relevant, not every view that exists in this country, because there's tons of them. Um, the continuing, uh, this article continues, the proud Democrat in Washington, as she described herself on Twitter, doesn't show up in any local phone or voting records. The Biden presidential campaign where she says she worked as a field organizer has no record of her. Neither does the Obama foundation where she claimed to have volunteered. Her only other known social media profile on TikTok posts copies of her tweets, but has never included her speaking or showing her face. Um, and a digital imaging expert said the three purported selfies she's posted on Twitter showing a young, smiling, blonde woman bear the hallmarks of digital manipulation. Mm. So this, what was her name? Erica Marsh might just be a fabrication. So why am I saying this? To remind you, look at who is relevant so that we can have good political conversations. And, uh, be careful <laughs> basing your political views on who shouts at you on Twitter. Um, super, super important. And don't fall into this enlightened centrist. Just because there's two sides, I have to squarely be right in between with my views because that means I'm the most reasonable. No. What you should fight for is what is correct, what is reasonable, what is common sense. And right now in this current political environment, it's not far on the left. It's just reasonable common sense policies that happen to fall to the left of kind of the center line you would draw. Um, because right now the right wing is pulling that other line, the line that makes the middle split where it splits so far to the right, outrageously so, that to split the middle between outrageously so and maybe some views you find too far left. For example, there are socialists I don't think necessarily you know, in the Democratic Party, very sporadically, um, kind of here and there, but some social, that's further left than I am. But kind of to say that further left than you are and Marjorie Green, I got to be in between of that. Why? Why would you have to split the middle? That doesn't make sense. And this is a reminder of that to me. Not that there aren't also outrageous people who are real, who are on um, the left as well, but are they representing themselves in positions of power? That's where you get your answer. And this reminds me of, this is reported on from The Independent. We talked about this a while ago. Donald Trump Jr. ridiculed as he falls for parody Twitter account calling for Aretha uh, Franklin ban. And what this was, was a fake account that also was pretending to be liberal, um, <laughs> said that the song uh, Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin was being canceled by the woke mob because it's offensive to trans women. And that wasn't happening. It was just a made up thing by this Twitter account. And then Don Jr. was like, see, this is what the woke mob is doing. I have to repeat this one more time. It's not that there aren't actual annoying people um, who identify on the left, liberal, woke, whatever. It's that that's not relevant to a larger political conversation about what our reaction to different political views should be, how urgent different political problems are, and which politicians we should support. Because right now, it's just, it's just not even close. While far, far from perfect, the Democratic Party is just millions of miles ahead of the Republican Party on so many of these crucial issues. Former congressman and presidential candidate Will Hurd um, appeared on 
let's see here. I think this was CNN. Yes. And talked about how he has no interest in as many of his fellow candidates within this presidential primary, the GOP presidential primary that is do um, in demonizing and dehumanizing the LGBTQ community. Now, Will Hurt is another one of these individuals that I'll say I am far from on policy and we would have so many debates about policy positions and in a normal political environment would be opponents on a lot of these issues. But he's one of the rare Republicans, sort of like Chris Christie, who is ready to and able to actually call out uh, other people in his party effectively um, and call out the fact that aside from the humanity of LGBTQ people and caring about humans, also, what is demonizing communities do for anybody even if you're saying i don't care about certain communities which is horrible even so for your voters your republican voters how on earth is that benefiting their life to go after other people um something we've talked a lot about how does this address any issues it doesn't it's a distraction for the gop at the expense of people's lives and so here's uh will heard on cnn well, my message is I wish they would focus and, and, and focus their attacks on war criminals like Vladimir Putin, not my friends in the LGBTQ community. It is 2023. We should be talking about how do we embrace our differences, because here's what I've learned as I've crisscrossed the country. We're better together and we should be having our leaders that are that are encouraging that, that are protecting that in order how we use our diversity to solve the major problems that we're facing. You know, we're in a new Cold War with the Chinese government. The Chinese government is trying to surpass us as a global superpower. That's going to impact everybody. And we need to be making sure that we're having a competition of ideas on how to be prepared for that. We can talk about the, about the economy all day long. Um, new technologies like artificial intelligence are going to upend every single industry, not in 10 years, but in two or three years. These are the conversations that we should be talking about and having. And the way we're going to solve these, th th these problems is by doing it together. I mean, does that sound like a Republican to you? And when you look at his policy positions, again, it's not that he's a Democrat. But that sure doesn't seem to fit within the GOP, the modern GOP, where we just talked about this ad DeSantis put out that was trying to call Trump too pro-LGBTQ because of some statements here and there that were Trump paying lip service, especially earlier on in his political career, uh, to LGBTQ people. But we've seen Trump's actions. Recently, he's calling for banning trans people from even being in the military. Just because of their identity, they can't serve their country. That's what Trump's up to. And DeSantis is saying, I'll go even further. I'm even more dehumanizing. And it was all these quotes that DeSantis was celebrating of him being called by the left a threat to trans people and he was going yeah that's me that's the modern gop will heard he's not getting that he's not on board with that and pragmatically why would you be again humanely why would you be and also pragmatically in a reasonable environment how would that be strategically even a political campaign uh strategy who knows but in this current environment we're in with the far right as it is it is somewhat politically effective and it's sickening and DeSantis rose to prominence while it seems to be kind of fading he did do it on the backs of um or on the wave of going after lgbtq people and trying to be a little trump 2.0 and constantly 
dehumanizing people. And so in a sense, there is a, a way that it's effective, which is horrible. Um, but as we've been talking about a lot recently, and we did during this DeSantis LGBTQ ad segment that I think, by the way, because of that ad was copyright or something, the video got blocked, but so I don't know if you'll be able to find it, but we did talk about it. Um, it's not a sign of actual leadership, of strength, of um, an ambition to improve the lives of Americans when you spend so much of your time um, going after a community within America, when you spend so much of your time telling your base that um, a certain community doesn't deserve the love and support that they do and the humane treatment that they do and all of that. And that is a sign of weakness on Sans's part and of a lack of actual policy positions that would benefit the lives of his constituents. Because if he had those, he would run on those, not dehumanizing people. He would run on those. And so Will Hurd is running. And this gets us to the sad part of this whole conversation. What should be a more successful campaign within the GOP again, more conservative on policy, but at least reasonable in some ways. Um, it should be something that defeats someone like Trump or DeSantis who are just completely outrageous. But instead, we know for certain Will Hurd will get destroyed by those two. And that's the heartbreaking part about this current environment when it comes to the modern GOP. We're going to take a quick break from the show so I can tell you about the Luke Beasley Show merch that's now available. You can see I'm sporting a sweater today with the Luke Beasley Show logo on it. You can get access to your own Luke Beasley Show merch by going to LukeBeasleyMerch.com. Super simple. LukeBeasleyMerch.com. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, sweaters, sweatpants, mugs, backpacks, whatever you want to get. It probably is there. Super fun. And if you do indeed get merch, make sure to show me somehow. Tweet at me with a photo. That'd be super fun to see. My hope is to kind of get the design to stay simple so you don't have to make a big statement when you're wearing it. I never get merch like that. So instead, it's just a little logo. Most people won't even know what it is, but you'll know. You'll be a part of the club, part of the family. Super, super. Fun. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Donald Trump had a 4th of July meltdown on Truth Social, and I'll walk you through kind of what he's been up to on Truth Social and then get to a super dangerous message he put out, um, kind of the early hours of July 5th. But first, here's this. As my poll numbers go higher and higher, he says, the communists, Marxists, and fascists get more and more crazy with their ridiculous indictments and election interference, plans and plots. Of course, he's referring to him being legally held accountable for his seemingly clear violations of the law, all controlled by an out-of-control and very corrupt DOJ and FBI. They have weaponized law enforcement in America at a level not seen before. Deranged Jack Smith, who is a sick puppet of A.G. Garland and crooked Joe Biden, should be defunded and put out to rest. Republicans must get tough or the Dems will steal another election. MAGA, of course, the Dems did not steal an election. Trump lost to what he calls or who he calls Sleepy Joe or now Crooked Joe. He lost. Um... And then he did say happy before the July, by the way, with a video of him speaking in Pickens, South Carolina, which I was at. Yikes. And then that photo. And then this is wild. He responded to someone who posted a graphic, a visual of some kind that says 81 million votes. And I've never seen a pro Biden hat, shirt or flag in my life. And then there's a flag that says F Biden and F you for voting for him. Isn't the point of this that he didn't give votes? So who are you effing then? I don't know. Um, but maybe 
those who vote for Biden aren't as obsessed with being in a cult as Trump supporters are. And that's why there's less hats and flags that represent him. And Trump said, true, no Biden hats anywhere. Never seen one. Again, less interested in the cult-like celebration of a person, instead interested in the policies that they'll implement, um, which I wish MAGA would change their, their view on that. But interestingly, this is just an example of how unserious this political movement is, where the leading candidate within the GOP is responding to someone saying F his opponent and agreeing. And then he says, massive prosecutorial misconduct is currently taking place in America. False. The weaponization of law enforcement cannot be allowed to happen. Crime and inflation are rampant. Our borders are open. Our elections are rigged. Our economy is in shambles. Our energy independence is gone. Our leader is mercilessly mocked and our country is being destroyed both inside and out. So many incorrect things there. Borders aren't open. Crime and inflation aren't rampant. Crime's dropping and inflation um, is as well. Let's see, economy is not in shambles. We've gone through that multiple times now. The specifics of that um, very recently, mercilessly, mercilessly mocked. Um, Biden has seen much higher approval worldwide compared to when Trump was president by other countries. Uh, our country's not being destroyed inside now. And I might have missed something, but. You get the point. Do the people of this once great nation even have a choice but to protest the potential doom of the United States of America 2024? Now, why is that dangerous? Is uh, protesting bad? No, protesting is great. It's because Trump has a track record when it comes to this type of language and what it can lead to. And so him understanding that to be the case and calling for this has an extra level of danger to it. When he's saying our entire country's falling apart, our leader was elected illegitimately, everything's going to hell, the only way you can save it is to protest. That is dangerous coming from him with the violence that we know uh, MAGA can engage in, especially with no caveat of make sure that it is peaceful, 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 um, even though the word by itself is perfectly great, of course, um, being protesting. And then we'll wrap up this 4th of July um, truthing, as it's called, with a video he posted hyping himself up that someone else, I guess, had truthed and he retruthed it or something. Um, this is what he does, as I've mentioned, whenever he's feeling down in the dumps and he's really scared about his legal troubles, he posts hype videos for himself. This is the final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. We will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media, and we will liberate America from these villains once and for all. So for our podcast listeners, it was just him walking at the camera and music playing. <laughs> um, so there's that. Hopefully his followers won't respond to the detached from reality fear mongering in any way that he's been putting out there, except for in peaceful ways. But it's, it's pretty scary because um, like I said, we've seen what this can cause. And also this is even more um, in the eyes of his followers extreme. The election was stolen, and now on top of that, they're locking him up, when in reality, that's not what's happening. Um, 
he's being subjected to the law and he's getting due process and all of it. But if he does indeed end up being convicted um, in one of these areas, then there's the possibility for something really scary. And I'll continue to say, I hope peaceful, peaceful, peaceful from MAGA. Um, but as y'all saw when I talked to Trump supporters on the ground at his pick in South Carolina rally, some of them aren't exactly um, buying into the importance of staying peaceful. Speaking of Donald Trump, an old video of him is coming back to haunt him. Um, it's from 2016 when he was running against Hillary Clinton, and his belief was that she would be indicted. Now, of course, she wasn't, but he wanted her to be. And he was saying in preparation for that, that you can't have a president who's under felony indictment. That would be a disaster. That would be a constitutional crisis. Now he's the one under felony indictment. Take a look at this. There's virtually no doubt that FBI Director Comey and the great, great special agents of the FBI will be able to collect more than enough evidence to garner indictments against Hillary Clinton and her inner circle, despite her efforts to disparage them and to discredit them. If she were to win this election, it would create an unprecedented constitutional crisis. In that situation, we could very well have a sitting president under felony indictment and ultimately a criminal trial. There's virtually no doubt. Which at that time he thought just could not happen. And you know what? Similar to the past clips of him saying that People should be held accountable for mishandling classified documents and information. I agree with past Trump there, shockingly. It would be a disaster if someone under felony indictment were to be president, such as him. We're not talking hypothetically. That's already happened. And maybe he just shouldn't uh, be elected president. Hopefully the people will make that decision resoundingly in 2024. While we're on the subject of Trump, just to quickly update you on some legal matters, further legal matters, um, when it comes to him, another former staffer has flipped on him. This is in regard to the federal investigation into his attempts to um, subvert the will of the people, overthrow our democratic process, install himself president. Um, and of course, the climax sort of of that was January 6th. And another staffer has flipped. Take a look at this being reported by CNN. He knew. So, Caitlin, what have you learned? Yeah, my colleague Zach Cohen and I have now learned that Michael Roman, who is not a household name, but he was a campaign official on the Trump 2020 campaign, is now cooperating with prosecutors from Jack Smith's team. Not the team that is investigating the documents investigation, which, of course, we've seen playing out in Miami. This is the one into January 6th and the efforts by Trump and his allies to overturn the election results. And why it matters that Mike Roman is now cooperating is that he may not have to appear before the grand jury in a formal way. He did get a subpoena earlier this year. They did seize his phone a few months ago. So two notable factors there, obviously. He could speak to them in a more informal setting. And it's notable because he's someone who was involved with the fake elector scheme. And we know that is what Jack Smith's team has been zeroing in on, on re in recent weeks in, 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 in inquiries they've had with certain witnesses, people they brought before the grand jury. That has been something that they've been talking about. And this... Right. So crucial that all the necessary information is gathered by Jack Smith on that front because um, 
we can't have, as I've said so many times, someone who was the sitting president trying to use that office to overthrow a democratic election, be able to get through um, the other side of all of that without being held accountable. He must be. And she referred to the fake elector scheme, um, which this Mike Roman was a part of. And that was an attempt to, because of the electoral college, use this plot to get fake electors who weren't the actual electors to come and have Mike Pence pretend that those are the real ones and actually Trump won, even though he didn't. And the state sent, in the case of some of these swing states, um, correctly, based on the vote count in their state electors to vote for Biden. They would say, no, we're going to select the ones that vote for Trump, who are just fake ones, based on these bogus forms that they've signed. And that is what more information is being gathered on right now when it comes to Mike Roman there. And we've seen other uh, fake electors being granted limited immunity. And so steps are being taken just to kind of update you on that steps are being taken in the direction of um, hopefully accountability legally, federally, when it comes to uh, Trump's attempt there. And by the way, uh, media reports here, Oath Keeper leader Stuart Rose warns Trump of pending January 6th probe, you're going to be found guilty. Uh, Stuart Rhodes, the leader and founder of the far-right Oath Keepers militia, has warned, uh, has a warning for former President Donald Trump. You're going to be found guilty. Rhodes was, of course, found guilty of seditious conspiracy months ago, sentenced to 18 years in federal prison, uh, prison based on his involvement in January 6th. And he's saying, Trump, you're next. Hmm. In honor of the 4th of July being yesterday, I want to do a segment about the American flag and patriotism and my belief that progressives or anyone who's opposed to the current Republican Party should feel free and obligated to take back some of this messaging and some of these symbols instead of just saying, yeah, sure, that can be exclusively something the right wing um, puts out there. And uh, so we're going to have that conversation after looking at what kind of inspired this segment, which is a Lincoln Project ad that is calling for this. Um, and their description was MAGA Republicans drape themselves in the flag in a vain attempt to further their agenda of divisiveness and hatred. They mock our American values. It's our flag and it's time to take it back. Join the growing pro-democracy movement and they have their link there. So let's watch this, see what the Lincoln Project has to say, and then we'll discuss. The American flag today flies over a nation divided. A nation where hatred and violence makes a mockery of the sacrifices of generations. A nation where one party storms the Capitol in a violent attempt to overthrow a free and fair election. A nation where one party claims ownership of the flag and the very idea of patriotism. It's time to fight back to take back the flag from those who dishonor it. The symbols of our republic, this bold experiment that has struggled and bled to bend the arc of history, don't belong to the Republican Party. They don't belong to Donald Trump or Fox News or violent terrorists. The flag belongs to every American. It's not their flag. It's not his flag. It's our flag. So uh, happy fourth on that. And I really do think that we need to stop conceding that ground to the right wing as often is done by the left of just kind of, yeah, sure, y'all can identify as the patriotic ones. We don't really care. No, it is way more patriotic to fight for the things that progressives fight for, 
to care about improving the lives significantly, materially, impactfully of people within this country, that is patriotic. Um, and I think we lose people because we do just concede ground where it doesn't make sense to. And we do just allow messaging to exclusively come from one side on patriotism. Um, the comparison I always make is because progressives are usually called America haters for wanting to make improvements and make changes. Um, and often that ends up getting the, you hate America because you want all these things to be changed. But does that make any sense in any other place where we talk about loving something or someone? And the comparison I made, it's a parent who loves their child. Do they say, oh, I don't want anything to change. I don't want to give you any resources to get better. I don't want to make sure your character is improved. No, parents want to improve their children and make them the best that they can be. That love is similar to loving your country, wanting to improve it, wanting to get better, wanting to uplift people. And that's what I think uh, progressives stand for and fight for. And so instead of going, ah, they'll get that our policy positions are better. They'll get that it's good to invest in communities and it's good to set up social programs that benefit low-income people and it's good to do all these different things. No, you have to have the correct positions, yes, and also have the correct messaging that is correct and honest and accurate, but also um, put out that messaging aggressively, which is to say, if you're really patriotic, if you actually care about fighting for this country, improving this country, uh, striving to make it what it could be and striving towards the ideals that I think um, we all wish that we could fully embody as a country, then heck, you're, you're on the left, absolutely, because that's what we're fighting for. Individual rights, individual liberty. Um, equality, all these different things. And yes, it's patriotic to want people to have a say in the workplace, want to address racial inequality, income inequality, um, wanting to expand access to affordable health care to people. It's not patriotic to accept the fact that thousands of people die because they don't have access to affordable health care. It's not patriotic to allow kids to be slaughtered at school uh, schools because we don't have proper laws implemented. It's not patriotic to allow so many kids to be food insecure in this country. All these things, while true at their core, sometimes are are not known enough because of our lack of proper messaging, I think. And uh, so that's my, that's my 4th of July call to action. Be uh, good and motivated, identifying as the actual patriotic ones who want to improve the country, recognize the flaws of the country, and that's why we want to fight to improve it. Failed gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake is on a book tour right now, selling her unafraid book, which isn't performing that well, which is good to see. Yes. And uh, she does seem to be preparing to either run for Senate in Arizona or she's trying to be Trump's VP running mate. We'll see what uh, plays out there. Either way, it'll be bad. And a recent interview of hers has been circulating where she tells two very true stories for sure. I want to show you. Um, not so much. And then we'll discuss, starting off with this one. Lies, they say, we, they don't want them on the ballot in 24. Oh. Um, and they're going to do anything to prevent that. Yeah. I mean, and who knows how far they're going to go with all these witch hunts and lawsuits being thrown at him. And, and I don't know if I told you this. I didn't put it in the book because it kind of happened after I'd finished writing it. I probably should have added it. But before she tells the story quickly, that talking point of uh, Trump's only experiencing all these legal troubles because they want to keep him off the ballot. They don't want him to run the general. They're trying to take him down before. 
number one is not true based on the evidence. What is true based on the evidence is Trump seemingly committed crimes and he should be held accountable for that. But number two, they do realize that polling wise, Trump polls worse against Biden than other candidates within the GOP field. DeSantis polls better against Biden than Trump does. So if Democrats were just going based on who would be easier to win against, it would be Trump, even though Trump's such a threat. So um, that's a very dangerous scenario. But just polling wise, it's not that Trump is the scariest person to go against in an election, except for how it, terrible it would be if he actually ended up winning. Um, but an odd talking point there. A couple months ago, I had a call from a very powerful person in Arizona and uh, said, I have to come over and talk to you in person. This can't be done on the phone, which I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, shows up at my door to offer me a prestigious job title, a, prestige, a, a large salary and a position on a board if I will just promise to not run in this next election, 24. Oh, sweet. And I said, really? I said, Do you, are you serious? I walked away from a prestigious job. I walked away from money. I'm not motivated by that. I don't you know, know what I'm going to do, but then, then, then yeah. uh, uh, yeah. we talked a little longer. I finally got him out of the house, and I, I said, he said, how much would it take? What would it take? Just, just for because two the Chinese years. have deep pockets. Yeah. Come on, Carrie. Just for two years is just don't get on what. They don't want me on the ballot. They don't want Trump on the ballot because they know we the people will show up and vote in droves, and they know that if they pull another rigged election. It, First of all, it's going to be a lot harder because now we know every which way that they're cheating. And I think they know they can't pull another one like that. Isn't that what they said after 2020? <laughs> so that makes me think I need to stay in politics as dirty as it is. I haven't mm. decided what I'm going to do next. There is a Senate seat that's going to be uh, up for grabs this uh, go around. And right now we have uh, Kirsten Cinema, who votes with uh, Joe Biden 95% of the time. That's not representative of what the people want in Arizona. Right. So I'm considering it. But the fact that they came to my door and said, what, what's it going to take to keep to have you put your movement on ice? Tells me that we need to keep our movement going. OK, so uh, a couple of things. First, most likely not true based on her track record with the truth. Her and the truth have a very hostile relationship, we'll say. So probably she made that Realizing up. But they well, um, but let's pretend for a moment that she is telling the truth. The most likely scenario is if someone came to her, said, please don't run. It's because of based on all the reporting we're seeing behind the scenes of Republicans freaking out about how toxic MAGA Republicans are for electoral chances. It was Republicans coming to her saying, Can you please not run. People hate the election deniers and we keep losing. Maybe that's true, Carrie. Maybe you lost your gubernatorial race and they really don't want you to run and cost them a senate seat that is up for grabs the gop could win the arizona race especially with kirsten cinema um and ruben gallego being in the race at the same time maybe kirsten cinema takes enough democratic votes now that she's independent and it sinks the democrat who knows what would happen um but that definitely is a possibility and so the GOP might have a shot. And maybe the GOP right now, whoever's kind of thinking about that race ahead of time, is terrified of another kind of midterm underperformance um, because of MAGA Republicans and is trying to prevent that from happening. And that's what we're seeing as Trump clearly is not really being budged in the polls by all these other people jumping in. And he's still leading by massive margins. A bunch of people behind the scenes are thinking, dang it. The GOP is now going to have such a, a harder time winning in 2024, not only if Trump's the nominee, 
Trump v. Biden, but down ballot because a lot of people will just reject the GOP if it's very associated with this MAGA Republican ideology, the election deniers like Carrie Lake. And this is what you get when you allow this type of detached from reality um, movement to be within your party as the GOP has. This is what you get when you don't clearly, aggressively, consistently call out the election night. Because now Carrie Lake can't think, oh, maybe I shouldn't run because I lost last time because she pretends she won. And a lot of people think that about Trump too. Oh, this time he's going to win by such large margins, even though he lost last time, but we don't think he did, that they won't be able to cheat or whatever the talking point is. So if this story happened, it's because they're so afraid of Carrie Lake being a big loser. Yikes. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you tomorrow.